Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Space. The final frontier. These are the voyages of the Starship Enterprise. Its continuing mission to explore strange new worlds. To boldly go where no one has gone before. Engage. Enterprise. Enterprise. This is Captain Jean-Luc Picard. Captain Catherine Janeway. Captain Sisko. This is Captain Jonathan Archer. Red alert. Photon torpedoes. Fire. The official Star Trek podcast. Engage. Engage. Make it so. With your host, Jordan Hoffman. That, sir, is illogical. And to make sure history never forgets. This is Engage. Hailing frequencies open, sir. Yes. Oh, yes. We're back. We are sailing through the cosmos. There we are at warp speed. Welcome back to another edition of Engage, the official Star Trek podcast. I am your host, Jordan Hoffman, and you can tweet at me at at Hoffman. Somebody the other day said, this show needs a, a Twitter account. And you know what? I'm your Twitter account. Just, tw- just tweet to me. Nobody else is going to be the Twitter account. Just tweet to me at Hoffman. Go to our Facebook page. Facebook.com slash engage the official Star Trek podcast, all one word. Uh, if you listen to us on iTunes, you can comment. If you listen to us elsewhere, you can still comment on iTunes. You can send me an email. You can do so many things. You can do whatever the heck you want. This is America, damn it. Oh, it's not necessarily America because I have many listeners from overseas. We had a listener, um, we have listeners in, in Sweden and Norway in uh, Russia, and when I was doing something fun, Brian, the other day, I was with our friends at um, CBS Marketing, who are who we were involved with. I did I helped them out with something on their Facebook page for their holiday gifts. Why wasn't I invited? Dude, you should have been there. I went into the closet, and they were like, take some, take some stuff, and I'm like- Oh, those are the most fun moments. I remember that from my music promotion days. Yeah, no, it was like, oh, we're cleaning out this closet, and they and like I'm like oh my nephew wants this and my nephew wants this and my nephew wants this, so I got some cool gifts, um, but they had me they asked me to um, I guess the technical word is shill but I love the product so it's not like I'm shilling, but they asked me to go and sort of um, present to you know Star Trek fans what is this year's new gifts that they may wouldn't be thinking about for the holidays, and. Um, we did it over Facebook Live, and as we're doing it, it's like, anybody going to watch this? I'm like, well, we're going to find out. It was, I think, 500,000 people watched. Oh, wow. And um, it was insane. And it was just, I was just <laughs> it's still out there. You can find it on Star Trek, or you can go to the Engage Facebook page. It's on there, too. It's about an hour of me opening toys and shirts and, like, ladies' garments. Does it get any better than that? No, it was pretty fun. It was pretty fun. And some of them were... You know, fun books like our friend Rob Perlman's book, uh, Red Shirts, Little Red Shirts Book of Doom was there. 
but also some of the pricier stuff like the you know it's 150 bucks but it's worth it it's the bluetooth communicator so it actually works with your phone but it's actually a communicator um the point i'm making is that this was really hip so i was looking at the comments and there were a couple of jokers there kept asking star wars questions ha 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 and there was one guy who was making fun of me and that's fine too i can take it and then there was um a dude from baghdad who was watching which was awesome i you know his name was muhammad something and he was like these these gifts are awesome but then top that there was a guy from antarctica from the McMurdo base in Antarctica. There's people there? <laughs> there's like 35 people there. Wow. You know, no, there are there's there are people that live in live in Antarctica, you know, not many. And one of them is enough of a Star Trek. Well, actually, you know, if there was one place where you have more Star Trek fans per capita, it's probably McMurdo base. <laughs> um, but there was a person, I don't remember uh, his or her name or anything about this person other than greetings from McMurdo base Antarctica. And I take it that it was no jive. So uh, that blew my mind a little bit. So yes, I bring that up to remind myself that this is an international podcast and I welcome you in all languages, shapes, and forms. This week's episode, we are going to talk uh, more about some Star Trek products. Uh, Okay, Uh, this is not a big commercial to buy crap, but this week's episode is a little bit. But you know what? It's the holiday season, so this is the buy crap episode, but it's not crap. It's great. We're going to talk to Michael and Denise Okuda, who have been guests on this program before. They uh, are the authors and archivists and um, editors and, and God knows what of the Star Trek Encyclopedia. And I guess it was maybe a month and a half ago, maybe two months when they were we Skyped them in. They live out there on the West Coast. And um, we uh, have them on today's show as well. And we're going to talk about something 50 years in the making. It's called Star Trek, the original series dash the Roddenberry Vault. And uh, when we talk to the Okudas, it's pretty self-explanatory. But what this is, is a three-disc set available in stores right now. What is the price point on this? I don't actually know. Whatever it is, it's worth it to fans. This is not for noobs. This is not for newcomers. If you are Trek curious, if you're listening to this show because you just stumbled upon it and you're thinking about getting into the original series, but you're really more of a Picard guy and you're not sure, this may not be the thing that you need to buy yet. This is something you buy when you were such an obsessed fan and you just need a little more, man. You need a little more. And what this is, is, and and uh, the Akutas are going to describe it in better detail, but basically, there have been, for 50 years, in a warehouse somewhere out there in California, um, work prints from the original Star Trek. Uh, normally, these things get thrown away, recycled, especially for a 50-year-old television show. But Gene Roddenberry knew he was, if nothing else, a man of vision. And Gene Roddenberry knew that someday this would be worthwhile. And um, he kept the original work prints. Uh, he had a company called Lincoln Enterprises where you could buy individual film frames and other goo and gadgets from back in the day. And what it is is alternate takes, additional dialogue, behind-the-scenes stuff um, that has never been seen before. And if you're one of these people that's bought every Blu-ray collection thus far, you might look askance and think, I must have seen this, I must know this, and you haven't. This is stuff that um, 
has just been sitting in, in, in the vault for years. So the collection, it's three discs. It's um, what, what they did was very smart. They sort of threaded the new material, some of which has no audio, some of which does have audio but no image, um, most of which is, are just sometimes very short, you know, like just very short additional moments of dialogue. But if you are a hardcore fan and you know these things like the back of your hand, it's um, it's going to blow you away. So um, let's talk about it more with the Yakutas in a few minutes. But before we get to that, one other thing, it's been a while in this show since we've talked about Star Trek Discovery, which uh, is going before cameras soon. The word is right after the holidays, January, everybody gets to work. Enough of this pussyfooting around. And I believe okay. it's going to start in January. And there has been some casting news Three members of the cast are official. Between you and I, I knew about one of them for months, but I wasn't allowed to say anything. And that person was Michelle Yao, uh, who is playing um, what is, uh, some of this is a little sketchy, but her character is going to be something of a, perhaps a mentor or at least a commanding officer to, or antagonist even, we're not 100% sure, but I think that's the way it's going, to our yet-to-be-named and yet-to-be-cast or at least known cast, lead character. And Michelle Yao is going to play uh, a captain of a different ship, not the Discovery, and she's going to be great. I mean, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, there's no, find me a better movie than that. Good luck. She's dynamite in it, and um, it's a great role for her, and it's, it's just going to be terrific. She's going to kick so much ass in the center seat. And then the other two announcements, uh, a fellow by the name of Anthony Rapp, who I don't know too much about other than I know he was in the original cast of Rent which is not necessarily my thing but but I have no uh, I, I don't dislike uh, he was in Rent right was he yeah it was Rent yeah what else did he not do not that I know that very well either yeah I'm not anti-Rent I'm just not pro I'm not uh, I'm not Broadway shows are expensive <laughs> the Rent Wars right isn't that was an actual thing the Rent Wars in history, I should do a little more research on Anthony Rapp. He seems like a nice man. I'm looking at him here. He's got a baseball cap on. He's from Chicago. Um, and yeah, Rent was his uh, big break. So I've never actually seen the dude in anything. I uh, know he was in Adventures in Babysitting, and he's done a lot of plays. Who is he in Adventures? Wait, in he was. Oh, wait, 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 wait. He's in Dazed and Confused. He's the guy who's buddies with Adam Goldberg. He's like the nerd. Oh, that's awesome. Oh, man. He's going to be great. So he's um, now my favorite, now that I realize who he is. He's on the Nick, too. All right, this guy rules. So Anthony Rapp, we don't know much about him other than he's going to play a fungus expert, a mycologist, an, a xenomycologist, an astromycologist, space fungus, which is cool that they even, that's, that's you know, these, remember, these characters were developed by Brian Fuller. He may not be as involved in the show going forward as we originally thought he would be, but these are his characters and you know he's written the first two scripts. So that's a that's a Brian Fullerism right there to have an astromycologist. Uh, and it is assumed as we know uh, Fuller had said unequivocally that there would be a a gay character in the show. Anthony Rapp uh is gay and out and proud, and one would argue that it's probably him. You know, have a gay character played by a gay actor. 
you know? So that's cool. Representation's important. So that's going to be him, probably. I also just realized who he was in Adventures in Babysitting. He was the, the friend. <laughs> I haven't seen that movie in quite some I, time. I, I always remember that because it, it was like the first time I saw like Thor. Oh, yeah. yeah and anything, which, which was Vincent D'Onofrio, believe it or not. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. so I always remember that movie for that. Yeah, of course. That That's a big deal. Um, and that was a PG movie that had an F-bomb in it. Did it? That's another thing about Adventures of Babysitting. Maybe it's PG-13. PG well, the I first time I saw it, it was on TV, so I, oh, I yeah. didn't hear that part. No, I had an F-bomb. That was a big deal. I remember that. Um, okay, uh, that's cool. And then third, Doug Jones, um, who is, uh, gosh, he's the weirdo alien creature in, in everything. In everything. In Hellboy, in uh, Pan's Labyrinth. He he was born to play a Star Trek alien, and he will be playing an alien. We don't know much about him. I, I mean, if you were going to put... Um, Lieutenant Arex and make him a character or someone of that species, the Edogians, they already look like Doug Jones already looks like an Edogian. Let's <laughs> put a little fur on him. Um, I am told I don't I don't want to get into too I did get a little bit of intel and I'm told that he will be very um, he will be very modified. Uh, let's leave it at that. He's going to look cool. They're putting a lot of time and effort into him. Um, that's all I'm privileged to say. I know a little bit more, but I'm really not allowed to say, which is why they really shouldn't tell me these things. So, it was, so is it is it a known alien species, or is it something completely new? I don't know. Okay. I don't know the answer to that. I'm guessing something new. I would I would imagine which so. Which is exciting. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, what I want out of this show is a mix. I want new aliens, and then I want my old favorites in there also. I, I, I need to see an occasional... Um, Certainly a, a, a Vulcan. Um, we can't have Romulans there because uh, the first time you see a Romulan has to be in um, Balance of Terror, and uh, that's a TOS episode, and this predates TOS. So you can't necessarily have a Romulan on screen unless our characters never see the Romulans. We can cut to Romulus and see Romulans. That's cool. Um, I don't. I want to see Klingons. I don't know what they're going to do about the foreheads or not. I mean, that's a big question. But I want to see the other members of the Federation. I want to see Tellarites. I want to see Andorians. But I, I, I'm keeping my expectations uh, managed, and I do think we're going to see a lot of cool new stuff. So anyway, I think. So here's the thing. Um, of those three actors, I'm, uh, I'm excited about all three. Doug Jones is born to play an alien. It's going to be great. Michelle Yao kicking ass. I love her. And it's just, I think um, she's going to sink her teeth into it and be great. And then Anthony Rapp, I am the least familiar with his work, but he seems like a really cool guy. So I'm not just giving him the benefit of the doubt. I'm saying, go. I love this guy, officially. So that's what's happening. That's the only news. And it's not new news. It's been around for a couple of weeks. We just haven't had a chance to talk about it. And, um, you know, January's coming soon. So we're going to have some more info we're going to have you know images eventually. This, let's just take it easy. Let them work at their pace. As we know, uh, there was some behind-the-scenes maneuvers. These, ha- these things happen at, uh, sometimes. And hey, listen, a lot of film historians will tell you that Casablanca was the greatest movie ever made. Uh, it's between that, Vertigo, Citizen Kane, right? Most, most film historians will put Casablanca in the top three. The most troubled production in Hollywood history. 
they were they didn't have an ending the day they were shooting the ending. They didn't know what the hell was going on on that. I actually learned this from Robert Wells' podcast on our network. Oh, really? On yes. Play. He, he, loves, he, he loves talking about Casablanca. He loves talking about how they had no idea what yes. the hell they were doing. Yes. <laughs> um, I don't think that this is that case. I think that there was just a little speed bump uh, in the warp corridor on Discovery. I, I think it's foolish to deny that and downplay it because Brian Fuller gave a gave a big, big talk at San Diego Comic-Con and... And now he is taking more of an advisory role. So yes, that's a speed bump. That's an unexpected development. But let's 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 keep our open mind. Let's stay positive and let's remember that Casablanca is one of the greatest movies in the world. And when they were on set, nobody knew what the hell they were doing. <laughs> but I don't think that's this. I mean, listen. Here's something that you got to keep in mind if you are a Brian Fuller stan, and a lot of the listeners are. They love his work on on Voyager. And they love his work on other television shows. The people that are now, the showrunners are now, um, it's two. Star Trek's too big for one person, so it's a double showrunner. Uh, Berg, what is her first name? Gertrude Berg? Somebody Berg, and some Aaron Haybarts, and somebody Berg. I forget their names. I'm not very good at remembering names. Uh, I don't know much about them. See, I don't even know their names. But they are the showrunners of Star Trek Discovery. Berg and Harbarts. These are not two random people they found in the street. These are people that Fuller's been working with for years. They, they are his lieutenants. They are his Padawans, to put it in Star Wars parlance. So it's time for them to shine. It's time to say yes. I'm not talking about giving them the benefit of the doubt. I'm saying these are our people. Harbarts and Berg will lead us is it Berg or is it somebody it, it, else? It's Gretchen Berg and Aaron Her- Harbarts. Yes. Aaron Harbarts and Gretchen Berg. I said Gertrude Berg. I was very close. Very close. I think Gertrude Berg is Molly Goldberg's real name. <laughs> and uh, there you go. That's some TV history. So let's do it. Let's make it happen with Berg and Harbarts. Harbarts and Berg. The law firm of Berg and Harbarts are going to really take <laughs> us in. No, I'm being serious. Enough of this Fuller guy. He's great. He's in an advisory position. He set up the world. We need hungry showrunners. Fuller's already a success. Let's let Bergen Harbarts take it. Why not? You know, let's do it. They can call up Uncle Brian anytime they need. If they're stuck on something, he's there. He's he's not like, you know, he's not not involved. He's just not running the show. These two people are for the first time. They they're going to kill it because they're they're doing it big. They're getting the 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 chest the cherry of the CBS empire with the blessing of Brian Fuller, man, it's going to be dynamite. I'm pumped up. I've pumped myself up. Unfortunately, we have to wait until May to see something. But that's what's going on with Star Trek Discovery. I will accept no more negativity. None of it. There's no reason for it. Let's wait. Let's wait till June. If the first four episodes suck, then we'll talk. But I don't think they're going to. I think they're going to be great. All right. That's my talk. Let's now take a moment, pause, and when we come back, we will speak to our friends... Denise and Michael Lacuto from way across the coast, way across the country, over there somewhere in California, to talk about the Roddenberry Vault. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. This is Engage, Engage, the official Star Trek podcast. Energize. 
Okay, well, this is exciting because our old friends Denise and Michael Okuda are waiting for me to be uh, to uh, to open a hailing frequency. They've been guests on the show before, and if you go back through the vault and listen, uh, they even say, "Hey, in a couple of weeks or or a month and month or so, we have something exciting to talk about." Because uh, we talked to them about the Star Trek Encyclopedia, they said we got something really cool, long time in the making. It's the Roddenberry Vault. So. Uh, Oh yes, my communicator is uh, is up, and I think it's time to open a hailing frequency. And on screen, yes, and there they are. Hello, Hi. Denise and Michael. How are you? Hello, we're great. Thank you. Thank Be- you for having us back. It's good. To, and you know, last time we just had audio. Now I know what the Akuta kitchen looks like. <laughs> what's cooking? What's cooking in it's the Akuta kitchen? Office, but- it's actually our office, but th- we cook things in here. Oh, too. it cut from this angle. It looks like a kitchen. Um, like I feel like right back there could be like a toaster oven, and then right above you is the cabin, is where you keep like the oatmeal and things like that. Oh, we're in our study. All right, nice. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, listen. Um, gosh, this is so cool. Uh, the Roddenberry Vault, and I, I, uh, I teed it up beforehand, so we don't have to explain it a hundred percent. But I do want to talk about your involvement in it. But real quick, before we get to that, today's kind of a sad day. Really, I was just looking at my phone a little while ago, and just to put a timestamp on this, uh, at 95 years of age, John Glenn passed away today, and you guys are both you know, very associated with NASA, and I'm wondering if over the years you ever met Senator, right? He was, that was his, you'd call him Senator Glenn if you ever met him, right? Absolutely. And did you no. ever meet him over the years? No, we never met Senator Glenn, but... Uh, uh, from from our childhood, he was he was one of the one of America's greatest heroes in space. He was the first American to orbit the Earth. Uh, he was the last of the surviving Mercury astronauts. He served his country as a combat pilot in Korea, and he served his country as a uh, as a United States senator. Such an amazing man. He was married to his wife Annie for uh, for seventy three years. Wow. That's a- they uh, he, uh, they met they they met as childhood sweethearts in junior high school. And they and they stayed together all their lives. What a what an amazing love story. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm I'm uh, I I've read Tom Wolfe's book and I've seen Philip Kaufman's adaptation of The Right Stuff roughly seventy five times. So uh, yes, you're right. And she's a real she's that there's that great scene and it's taken from from real life. She was a shy woman. She had a stammer, and when her husband was just a uh, a, a test pilot, she, there was nothing about being in the spotlight. He was a test pilot. Yeah, yeah. And then um, suddenly he became an astronaut, and she had to be interviewed and put on television. And she was like, hey, wait a second. I wasn't, I didn't know about that. And uh, he was like about, he was like on the flight deck, at least according to the movie. He's on the flight deck. They're ready to go. And, and President Lyndon Johnson wants to be with her on television. And she's like, what do I do? And he's like, you tell him from me. If my wife doesn't want to talk to the president, she doesn't have to. And it's a great, great moment of, uh, you know, how we have these larger-than-life figures, and then these are human beings. And sometimes they don't, you know, necessarily they can stand up for themselves. So that's, that's one of my favorite scenes in the whole movie right there. Both of them are larger-than-life figures, and, uh, and uh, we, we salute both of them. Yeah, yeah. So it's to say that I didn't realize that he was the last of the Mercury 7. Wow. Well... Early NASA and Star Trek certainly go hand in hand, and in starting in 1966, when Star Trek was first being produced, 
Um, Gene Roddenberry, who you knew, and correct me if I get the story of this wrong a little bit, he was never, never, uh, he, he, he certainly always had an eye open for entrepreneurial opportunities, right? That's a fair way to say that he always knew that when there was an opportunity, it would be a, a good one. So he was a wise man. He knew that even back then, while the show was not as popular as it is certainly all these decades later, there would be demand for memorabilia of the show. So he, um, when uh, when the dailies were shot, when work prints were shot, and for the digital age, people who don't know what those terms mean, we can get into that. He um, he had a company where he would take, what do they call them, loose ends, short ends, little one-frame snippets of film, and with perhaps a screenplay or, or something, he would sell this to, to fans way back in the 60s. And... Correct me if I'm wrong, it, it's from that, it's from all that original material that's been sitting around for decades that has become, grown, mutated over the years into a cache of material that we always knew was there, but no one had the time or inclination to sift through. And now, as a result, we have this momentous new three-disc set called, perfectly, the Roddenberry Vault. Did I sort of get the timeline correct on that? Sort of. We really don't know exactly what Gene did, exactly why he did it, exactly what he was holding on to. But the extraordinary thing was that he did hold on to a lot of that film. And then after his passing, uh, his wife and then his son, for, uh, they, they weren't sure why they were holding on to it, but they did. And because they always, especially, uh, especially Rod Roddenberry, he had the sense that it might be useful and you have to remember that for a lot of for a lot of years, this stuff was absolutely secret. No one, including us, had a, had a clue until. I was going to say I don't think. Uh, I mean, I hear what you're saying, but I don't think anybody had any idea that this footage was still around. I mean, uh, I had a feeling that some of it was, but the reason I did is because. Through the years, we saw stills of scenes that did not end up in the aired episodes. For example, the end of Operation Annihilate when Peter Kirk is on the bridge. Um, we've seen stills. We knew it was filmed, but right. we didn't know that the film existed. And, and through the years, I would ask people, have you ever heard of this footage? Do you know where it is? Do you know who has it? I asked a lot of people, and nobody did. And then about nine years ago, we got a phone call from Rod, and he said, uh, meet me down at this address, and it was a nondescript, you know, warehouse. We and wear a, non- wear a trench coat and sunglasses while you go down yeah. there. <laughs> we had no idea what was going on. Uh, but, you know, Rod's our friend, and uh, so we said, sure. So we came down, and he said, well, I have to have you sign these, and we signed non-disclosures, and I was like, okay, we won't tell anybody, we promise. And we walked in this warehouse and we saw rows and rows and rows of shelves with can, 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 uh, film cans. Yeah. We didn't know what it was. And, you know, we opened a couple of them up and there were rolls of film in various sizes. And they had the names of episodes on them. Oh, and wow. we're going, oh my gosh. And then they showed us a little bit of of the footage. And Mike and I, we were just taken aback. This was the holy grail. We were like, oh, my God. I mean, it was, 
It was amazing. Yeah, it was absolutely- it's, it's like the scene in Raiders of the Lost Ark. It's like there, here are the, here are the crates. Now, what you were looking at, these were. Uh, these reels were they just they were the work prints that the editors worked from back in the day. Now, um, oh, there's the pooch. Um, uh, uh-oh. Denise has run off to take care of the dog. Um, nowadays, the kids make movies on their iPhones, but back in the day, and you can correct me if I'm getting some of this wrong. You would shoot uh, shoot on film on negative, and then you would get a cheaper sort of less highly uh, a less high quality print back that you would mark up with pen and you would literally chop it with a with a with a razor blade and tape it up and then from there you would make what you would call a picture lock and then from there you would then go back to the negative and say ah it's it's real 6 at this moment you cut here and we dissolve there and that's what would ultimately end up in theaters on television and then the remaining, the work print, you know, is, is just, eh, it goes on, a, goes on a shelf somewhere. And then for most things, particularly a television show from the late 1960s, nobody's ever going to care. Nobody's going to want it. But for something like original series Star Trek, where we've memorized, where some of us, some of the hardcore fans, have memorized every episode, have memorized every moment of dialogue, and can almost recite it as if it were music... What we have here with with this discovery is um, additional dialogue. So, uh, you know, uh, just a, uh, like a scene here or a half a scene or really just a few stray lines, some of which uh, are really integral to the, to the plot, which are kind of neat, the few that I've uh, watched already. And then some of it is just a different angle. Uh, like one of the niftier ones is from, and I want to get into the specifics, but uh, this side of paradise, the big uh, goodbye scene on the transporter in the transporter room, which is one of the most touching scenes in all of Star Trek. It's just great to see different angles on that. I mean, the way I've described this as um, if you're a deep, 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 hardcore Star Trek fan, it's like if you love, you know, a, a rock album. If you if you've listened to Led Zeppelin four so many times in your life that you could hum it all, all forty two minutes with your with the blindfold on, and then suddenly uh, you're hearing Misty Mountain Hop and Jimmy Page's guitar solo is different because he's improvising. It's like whoa, what is that? It's a different take, and that's kind of what's going on here with with the Roddenberry Vault. So for for the hardcore fans, these uh, these discoveries are. Awesome. And I've watched some of them so far. I've been teasing them out myself. I got to ask you both individually, what was the one clip that blew you away the most? I know there you've got 25 that are tied for first place, but if you had to pick one, the thing that's in this collection that on a personal level, just like said, this is something I never thought I'd see. This is blowing me away. You're right. There are quite a few. <laughs> you, there can only be one. You can whisper amongst yourself, say, you pick this one, I'll pick this one. For me, it has to be uh, Kirk and Edith on the uh, on the stair landing uh, in City on the Edge of Forever. Uh, Edith has just stumbled and there's there's a moment of romance between them in the episode. Mm -hmm. But the Roddenberry Vault has more footage of that, several more lines of dialogue Mm -hmm. where they uh, where not only are they romantic together, but they bear their souls to each other. uh, uh, Stay with me forever mm. and it, it's the it's a lovely character moment and it was i'm sure it was cut purely for time yeah but 
wonderful uh, insight into into these these two these two characters. Yeah, I it probably is City on the Edge of Forever, but uh, the Peter Kirk footage. Yeah. That- um, we saw, we literally came off the couch and as soon as we, watched it, we flew to the phone and we called uh, Phil Bishop, who is our um, executive, producer. executive producer here in, in Los Angeles. And we said, we found it. We found one of the shots we were looking for. Wow. Uh, Eureka. Eureka. That's amazing. Um, I want to get into the process of how it worked, but I have to share the one that I dug the most, um, and I haven't watched everything yet because I only just got my hands, my only, I only got the keys to the vault very recently, so I haven't watched it all. But um, uh, the one that dug that I dug the most was from uh, Ilan of Troyes. There's another. There's a scene of Spock and Uhura just kind of hanging out, and she's got a Vulcan lute in her hands, and Spock is like, only Vulcans can play the Vulcan lute, and what do you think you're doing? But which is weird, because she plays the Vulcan lute very well in, um, is it, uh, in Conscious of the King. Is that, do you think that's why they cut it out? Because it breached canon? No. No. Who knows? But (laughs) we, and that's another thing, I'd seen a still from that. Oh, really? Yeah, I'd seen a still from that. And um, but yeah, we said the same thing. Awesome. Uh, <laughs> he, he played the thing in season one. So, right. Well, season um, three. Season three had a whole. There's a lot going on in season three. So you know yeah, there could be mistakes. Didn't do the homework. But it's a but lo- it's a lovely little scene. They're in like the commissary or something like that, and she's just like kind of noodling on the Vulcan Vulcan loot and Spock. It's like it's a scene that I could totally see why they would cut because it didn't propel the plot forward at all. But to us, who you know, when we're feeling low, all we want to do is sit and daydream of like what the off hours were on the Enterprise. This is a glimpse of that, you know. So it's it's that for me was just I found that to be very touching. So another one of our favorite bits is it, you mentioned uh, Uhura uh, playing the the Vulcan harp in Conscious of the King. On that same clip, uh, uh, swept up uh, snippets from the cutting room floor. Uh, we also have her singing the entire song Beyond Antares from that episode. Yes. Which, she sang it in the episode, but you actually only actually saw her sing a couple of lines. We found the entire song, including a verse that was missing. Mm. So you, you, you talk about your um, uh, your albums that you're, you've memorized. Suddenly, here's another verse, literally another verse. Wow. How, was that ever recorded, do you know, on the like on Leonard Nimoy's um, uh, album where he... No, no, he didn't well, sing the Boys album has has a different has, a, has, has an instrumental instrumental. instrumental you're right. Antares. This Roddenberry Vault has revolutionized revolutionized Star Trek karaoke because now we have an additional stanza oh. to Beyond <laughs> Antares. This is great. So, um, so let's talk about the process. You get the call from Rod, and he's like, "Hey, you know." Meet me under the off uh, under the overpass and this sneaky little uh, building, and then here's the boxes, and then you know it's decided between all the powers that be, CBS and Paramount and everybody that you're going to make this this um, this uh, you're gonna you're gonna sift through it. Was did, did they just say here are the keys? Go nuts! Here's a Moviola or a Steenbeck or whatever. Find what's cool, or how did it go from there? For a long time. All they wanted to do was catalog it because no one really knew what was in it, uh, and and therefore no one really knew what we could be doing with it. 
So that was part of the challenge, but it's also part of the fun. When, it, when you're watching the film, you never knew what the next shot's going to be. It could be from the same episode. It could be from an entirely different episode, a different season. So it, it was it was continuously like Christmas morning for us. Yeah, and 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 the the you know the the sound and the film were not together. They're two separate strips. So that had to be put together. Then right. it needed to be uh, dig- digitized and and sent to us on disc. We would get discs, and the first thing we would do, and they're about two hours long, is we would sit down on the couch and we would just watch it. That's it. We would just watch it. And that kind of gave us an idea of what was on the disc. And fortunately, um, we know the material pretty well. So we didn't. I would say so. Yes. (laughs) We didn't need to go look any. I mean, occasionally we'd need to go look something up to go back to the to the um, uh, to the aired episode. But most of the time we knew what we were watching and I, you know, we knew this was an alternate take. We, we knew this was a, a different intonation. Um, so we would watch the episode and then we got down to work. We uh, had a very elaborate spreadsheet with uh, timing of the, the footage, the ins, the outs, the length. The, we spent a lot of time cataloging. We spent a lot of, we took, it yeah. took us three years. Off and on. Off and how, on. How many, how many years altogether? It took us three years to, to catalog it. Wow. Okay. Cool. And there's also a lot of fun um, bloopers and like behind the scenes stuff as well. Um, I mean, just like shots of of Bobby Clark, the Gorn, just kind of like getting his his Gorn legs, like just walking around, feeling the suit out. Mm-hmm. There's some shots of that. There are shots. There was one shot of, um, which I thought was really interesting, um, season three. Uh, oh, heck. What's the episode with uh, when when um, with Miramani and Kirok? What's that called? Of course, Paradise. Forgive me. I'm so embarrassed. I sometimes forget the titles. Um, Where there's this like, they were shooting on two cameras for whatever reason. So one camera was moving and it's like, oh yes, there's the wall. This is not, this is shot on a soundstage. I forget that sometimes. So there's some really nifty stuff in there. And then another big revelation. I mean, I don't want to give everything away, but... um, because Denise, you specifically in the in the documentary get very enthused about this. Um, as m- most fans who would be interested in the Roddenberry Vault know, the original series was novela- novelized. Is that the word? Novelized by James Blish, the great James Blish, uh, one of the finest science fiction writers around. Uh, novelized the early episodes. And for the episode Who Mourns for Adonais, um, it ends with sort of a risque twist that Apollo and blanking on the name. Carolyn. Carolyn. Carolyn's Lamas. Yes. Uh, have uh, have perhaps uh, perhaps had an intimate moment and there is going to be a, uh, a mini Carolyn or a mini Adonis, a mini uh, Apollo afterwards. And that was something that was in the book, and it was something that was in old screenplays and has never aired, never been in any episode. But you found, you found the the smoking gun. You found it, and it's in the vault. Uh, it wasn't shot. It's a reaction shot of Spock listening to somebody else reading Bones's lines to cue him for a reaction shot. So it's somewhere in the vault. Deep, 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 deep. The audio and the reaction shot of Spock. So uh, vindicated after all these years. That was an amazing moment because uh, 
for for a lot of years, we knew that we knew it was written. We had no idea if it was actually filmed. And uh, uh, you're right; it's a smoking gun. Uh, we believe it's evidence that it was actually filmed. But just having uh, Spock's reaction shot and hearing the off-screen uh, script supervisor, that means yes, it was shot. Yes. Well, we also. Uh, we also talked to Leslie Parrish, who played uh, Lieutenant Palamas. Um, one of the things that we've done is is um, we interviewed a lot of folks that worked on the original series, actors behind the scenes, and then some contemporary uh, people like uh, Bill Prady, who co-created, co-exec of, of The Big Bang Theory. But we went up and we interviewed Leslie Parrish, and she said, indeed, that, fil- that, that scene was filmed in its entirety, and isn't it silly that they took it out? Yeah, probably because of standards and practices of of the time, right? It was a little too risky. Exactly. It, it might have been standards and practices, or it simply might have been time. The Or, or it might have been simply uh, the uh, that moment of Kirk saying, if only, if only, was so powerful that sometimes what comes after is an anticlimax. Right, right, so right. We, we have an alternate ending for uh, the episode uh, Return to Tomorrow, and it's an interesting scene, and it's actually fairly long, but in the actual episode, uh, it ends on um, on uh, uh, Kirk slash Sargon and and Mulhall slash uh, Thalesa saying goodbye, and that's such a powerful ending. I think they made I think they made the right choice of ending it on that. But yeah. we have but we have the alternate ending, and um, it's so it's really interesting to watch. Uh, they, the editors absolutely made the correct choice, but we have it for you to see on the Roddenberry Bowl. Right, right. This is this is for, this is not for noobs. This is for those of us that are that are hardcore. So just just to let people listening, I, I just want to let you know. So what's on this three disc set, in addition to really cool packaging that looks like a bank vault? Um, it uh, the the stuff that will excite you. Uh, well, what you did was interesting was this, and, and the, the brain trust behind this was smart. It isn't just a dump of um, footage, although there is one chapter on disc three that kind of is, and that's really cool. But for most, or at least a lot of it, um, it's interwoven into documentary. So what you have here are ostensibly, there's a two-part documentary that's just called Inside the Roddenberry Vault, 30 minutes on, on, on disc one, 30 minutes on disc two. And, and 30 I'm sorry, say again? The three-parter, 30 minutes on disc three. Oh, it's a three, yes, it's a three-parter, yes. So it's 90 minutes altogether. Um, and then there are, are two additional 30-minute uh, documentaries called, one is called Revisiting a Classic, which has got interviews with, you know, people like William Shatner and, and, and John D.F. Black and Mary Black and people that were there back in the day. Um, as well as commentary from um, and DC Fontana also, as well as commentary from um, uh, like David Goodman, who wrote the autobiography of James T. Kirk and uh, Scott Movie Mance, who's been a guest on this podcast, people who really know and love Star Trek. And then there's another uh, documentary, uh, which I haven't gotten to yet, called Strange New Worlds, Visualizing the Fantastic, which I imagine is more about the technical stuff and um, special effects and the, and the uh, models and things. But what's neat is that um, in what I've seen so far, so it'll be talking about the episode Elan of Troyes and um, reflecting on it, and then that's where you'll get um, these clips that I'm talking about. But then on disc three is like the pure, this is like the, un, for the for the real Star Trek addicts who have a real addiction, 
it's like uncut. You just just snort it right into your into your schnoz. It's um, a little bit less than 30 minutes, like 26 minutes or so. It's called Swept Up, Snippets from the Cutting Room Floor, and it's just the pure the pure vault right there. And that one is, is, is just all the stuff that didn't make it elsewhere, um, but it's still really cool. And there is a moment, um, some of it, it has no audio, so it's set to some really nice music. And there's just shots of the original um, tests of the first models and the shuttlecrafts the swooping and it's just it's just really nifty. isn't that footage beautiful just lyrically beautiful it really is and that's that's they were they were figuring it out you're watching the process happen this is how they figured out how to do the opening credits for the most important television show in this or any other multiverse so it's really nice and i gotta give you guys props in addition um a lot of the episodes that are discussed at length uh, for those of you that don't have them on Blu-ray yet, uh, they're they're on there as well. There's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, I guess twelve. There are twelve episodes, kind of all the classics: Space Seed, Arena, Corbomite Maneuver, and some of them, though not all of them, some of them have new audio commentary tracks from people like DC Fontana, uh, Scott Mance, who I mentioned, who's a lot of fun, David Gerald, David Goodman. Uh, so David Gerald doing a new audio commentary on Trouble with Tribbles. Uh, so there's a lot of cool stuff in there. So uh, to do my marketing, also, yeah, go ahead. There's also, there's also uh, isolated music tracks on most of the episodes. And this uh, the original series was made back in the day when they had just simply gorgeous music. And if you if you listen to the episodes with just with the music, uh, you uh, you realize how stunning and how important those were to the tone and the emotion of the episodes. You know, it's funny, and I I um you just gave me a great idea. The next time I have a little party. I'm going to kind of put that on as party wallpaper. I usually like to put on um, movies like uh, visual movies with great music, just kind of put them on the background, like Koyana Scotsy is a good one, or um, uh, For All Mankind, the NASA footage is a great one to kind of put on while people are having some drinks. My next one, I'm taking out the Roddenberry Vault, putting the audio track, the isolated audio track, and I'm going to do... Uh, I'm going to do Corbomite Maneuver, my favorite, probably. Or Operation Annihilate's a good one, too, because they shot a location for that one. Um, cool. This is great. So, And also, you know, uh, my friend Matt Singer, who was a guest on the show, once asked, um, he asked me, hey, do Star Trek fans get annoyed about, like Star Wars fan do, fans do sometimes, about the remastered? And I say, the nay, because every Star Trek DVD and Blu-ray has always had the option if you want to go classic, you push a button on your remote control and you don't get the remastered special effects, which are wonderful and we're, you, we're both very involved in. But sometimes you want to go classic and you have that option, too. And that's also on this as well. You always got to go to your roots on that one. So that's good. And we, we love the original visual effects. It's, it's easy to look at them these days and say, gee, that's really primitive. But actually, back in the day... Those were incredibly audacious. They were bleeding edge. The, the use of, of blue screen opticals and all these innovative techniques, which simply were not done in episodic television back then. And on the uh, the documentary uh, 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 Strange New Worlds, uh, we we talked to uh, uh, Richard Edlund, the uh, great Star Wars visual effects cinematographer. Early in his career, he worked for a, a company called the uh, Joseph Westheimer Company, which is one of the principal suppliers of visual effects. And he talks about his work on 
uh, on the original Star Trek, and we were actually we were, we were surprised to learn that uh, that this guy, the guy who shot the original Star Wars title crawl, actually hand lettered the original Star Trek uh, uh, title card, the, the word Star Trek. Oh, really? He, he drew that by hand. Oh, man. That's awesome. I didn't know that. That's really neat. Yeah, no, the original effects were, I mean, Corbomite Maneuver was supposed to be first, but they they bit off more than they could chew. They didn't realize how great it was going to be, and they had, a, they had to wait a few months, you know, because uh, the Fisarius and Balok, you know, that was difficult stuff back then. So, uh, absolutely. It's, it was uh, insuperably, it was almost insuperably, insuperably hard. And the fact that they were able to do this week week after week is, is is a testament to these amazing people who made this amazing television show. Yeah, yeah, cool. Well, listen, um, I know you got to run soon, but uh, we t- the last time we spoke, you were kind of exhausted because you were t- uh, had just mm-hmm. put a bow on the encyclopedia, and now you've put a bow on the vault that you've been working on. You've been known, you know, has been in the back of your mind for nine years. What's next for you two? What 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 secrets? I, I can see into your office right now. What secrets are there that I need to know about next? Uh, not Star Trek, but later this later this month, uh, the movie Sully comes out on on Blu-ray, which uh, for which I did some uh, computer animation. Right. We, uh, we have some. Uh, we still have a couple of little projects, but to, to be perfectly honest with you, we're tired. Uh, <laughs> Wait, are you the Okudas are not done with Star Trek? That could not be. Oh no, we're not, we're not done, done with we're Star not Trek. done with Star Trek. We are willing and able to work on most Star Trek's um subject matter. Uh but right now it's nice to not have to work seven days a week. We actually um we can have a life. We got to, you know, decorate the house for Christmas. Take and- a little time off. I, I hereby declare it uh, off-season for the Acudas. Take some time off. You've been busy. I'm sure we'll be seeing you at conventions next year, right? Well, actually, this Saturday we're going to be at the uh, uh, convention in San Francisco talking about the Roddenberry Vault. So oh. if, you're in San- if you're in that area, come come by. We're on Saturday. We're there on Saturday. We're, Which- bringing, lots of, we're bringing lots of video. This is a, a creation Star Trek convention? Yes. Oh, fabulous. Okay, cool. That's well. That's awesome. And, and I, know- I've got to give a shout out to our our coworker and producer uh, Roger Lay Jr. Um, he uh, he was wonderful to to work with. The three of us are on the same page, and um, he will be there as well. Great, great. Yeah, he's sort of the overarching producer director on on. Um, official uh star trek blu-rays and dvds for years now and he does all the he this man has must have has probably interviewed william shatner 25 times at this point um and and uh and a, a number of other people but always manages to make these these sort of behind the scenes documentaries fly by they're always very entertaining but roger is not merely an accomplished filmmaker but like us, he's he's a fan. He loves this stuff, and he's uh, he's seen every every behind the scenes, every documentary that's done. So uh, when we say, well, let's talk to talk about this, he'll say, okay, but let's do this instead, because this has already been covered. Let's talk about this, which no one has talked about. So he digs to find new material and, and new angles and and new things that are uh, that are hopefully of interest. To, uh, yeah, to no, all. There, he he keeps it fresh, and also. Uh, you know her well, I'm sure. Dorothy Fantana 
the necklace she's wearing in her interviews are awesome. She's wearing an incredible necklace. It's a lot. At first, I thought they were like uh, giant uh, galaxy class starships around her neck. And I'm like, no, it's some sort of Mesoamerican silver plated thingamajig. It's a dynamite necklace she's wearing. So, for the jewelry fans out there that want to watch this, uh, you've got something else to look forward to. So, that's cool. Um, cool. Well, listen, so you're, you're still out there, and uh, fans can, can say hi to you at conventions. And, you know, they got the Star Trek cruise happening soon. Uh, you know, that's a new thing that's starting is conventions at sea. I don't know if you heard about this. So, uh, we went on a Star Trek cruise in many, like, many, years many, ago. many years ago. It was fun. It was fun. You did one. Okay. Because I'm actually doing the one in a few weeks in January 2017. I have never been at sea with Star Trek fans before. So, uh, We'll be recording. <laughs> we'll be recording this podcast, and I'll be doing some introductions there. But uh, apparently, the 2017 Star Trek cruise sold so well they've already got the 2018 cruise lined up. So uh, maybe we'll see you by the pool on deck of the USS uh, blah blah blah. You never know. You never know. Uh, cool. Okay. Well, listen. Thanks again for all your hard work. I know you've got other people to speak to today. So, um, we thank you. The Star Trek fans, thank you. And, I mean, if I may speak on behalf of the fans, it's great that you guys are are there because you're right. Uh, They find these boxes and, you know, they they cut a deal. It could have been like, oh, yeah, some old footage. And we'll put together a quick half-hour bonus feature, put it on the next Star Trek movie. You know, but it doesn't happen with Star Trek. We've got you guys there always fighting the good fight and our friends at CBS like John Van Sitters and whatnot that know uh, that this stuff needs to be treated with respect. And uh, kudos to everybody. Kudos to Rod for coming to you in the first place. And nine years later, it'll be in stores probably by the time people can hear this. So that's exciting stuff. Well, it's uh, certainly Rod and Trevor at Roddenberry Productions. Uh, there really has been an amazing amount of support for this from the very top of CBS Home Entertainment. They wanted to do something special. They wanted to find a, a showcase for this material, and they stuck with it, and they, they supported this project, and uh, we're, we're very grateful to them. Yeah, cool, cool. Well, I mean, of the stuff, I say, I haven't watched it all yet, but of the stuff I've seen, there have been a few of those get-off-the-couch moments. It's like, whoa, you know? I mean, to to a casual fan... A casual fan may look at it and go like, what is this guy going nuts for? And then you're like, no, it's the scene supposed to end there, but they're still talking. That's exciting. So, you know, for for those of us. I can't wait to watch Vault 2. Vault 2? Vault 2 is our favorite. Oh, Besides. oh, the uh, the second the the second uh, documentary, which I haven't gotten to yet. That's the that's that's, that's, that's that, that 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 I think is our favorite. Okay, well, you know what? I, I might tease it out for myself. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to eat all my jelly beans in one sitting. You know, I might spread them out. So, uh, you know, I watched uh, document Vault One last night, and then I watched the Swept Up last night. So I've got uh, at least. You know, at least two hours left, and I'm gonna I'm gonna spread it out. So, uh, but um, when I'm done with watching everything, I'll send you guys a note, and I'll let you know what my favorite bit was. How does that sound? Okay, sounds good. Excellent. Well, listen, um, we're gonna have you back on the show again. I we you don't have to come on just when there's something in the marketplace. You're welcome here anytime. The fans love you, and I love you. So let's keep in touch. 
And I'm sure I'll see you at some point at a Star Trek convention soon. But until then, as we like to say, live long and prosper. And thanks again for all your hard work. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having us. You got it. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.